1: ...by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Brussels in Belgium at the Hotel Amigo. A word about this hotel because it's been completely restored. Uh, It's about 170 rooms. Great location right in the heart of of Brussels. Walking distance to the main square. Uh, But every five feet that you walk, you're looking at a piece of history. Don't just look down, look up, look around. Even Even the street that you're walking on, the cobblestones, it's all quite amazing. Brussels has changed so much since I first came here. When I first came here, the city closed at six o'clock every night. Um, the food was uh, not great. There was, there was a lot of beer, no doubt about that, and there still is. But what people don't realize is that Brussels is made up of 19 different municipalities. That means 19 different neighborhoods, 19 different cultures, and uh, and it's a walking city. And where we are right now, the Hotel Amigo, is an amazingly perfectly situated hotel to do just that, plus it's got so much history. Part of that history is that it's part of the Rocco Forte Hotel Group, and I'm honored today to have with us the chairman of the Rocco Forte Company, Sir Rocco Forte himself. Welcome to the show, sir.
4: Nice to be here.
0: You know, when I talk about hospitality, uh, and I go back, of course, to the days of your father, uh, the whole idea of a family-run hospitality company, we don't see that very much anymore. Um, in, in a world of, uh, of uh, mergers and consolidations and sometimes failures, there's branding. There's no doubt about that. There's branding everywhere, but I think we've lost the, the in many cases, the art of hospitality.
4: Yes, well, I think there are a lot of, uh, there are obviously a lot of uh, very uh, s- small enterprises, family enterprises, individual hotels which are owned by families which have been in the family for a long time, and this started as a family the Blaton family built this hotel for the world fair in 1958 um but i mean with this huge consolidation you know that's going on if you think of the Marriott taking a take star with the 30 i don't know 35 different brands yeah but you know what that, that, that brings it, that and, brings
0: up uh, an interesting question because if i stop somebody today from Marriott, and maybe you've done the same yeah. thing i think it's now down to 32 brands and i say to them yeah. how many brands do you have they'll say 32 i'll say great can you name them And if they work for Marriott, they might be able to name all 32. But then comes the interesting question that they're not expecting. I say, can you define them? And that's where there's a lot of pause. And these are
4: people who actually work there. Well, I only have one brand and (laughs) one type of hotel, which actually makes my job easier. But also uh, the understanding of the customer is that much greater of what, uh, what my hotels are about. Well, what are your and, hotels and this about? This hotel is is typical because I mean we're sitting here in a room where we we can see the Grand Place. We're just next door to the Grand Place. It's a very centrally located hotel. It's a hotel with a a lot of charm, an intimate feel. You have a sense of being in Brussels uh, uh, in uh, in this hotel. And, and there's a warm and friendly and welcoming atmosphere when you come into the hotel. A lot of the staff, of course, have been here, actually. They predate my time. Uh, Ricardo, who's the head concierge, has been here for 45 years. And he'll, he keeps on talking about retiring. And one of these days he will, but he's only still only 64. But you're
0: not going to let him retire, so, are you? Well,
4: I hope not. I mean, I try, <laughs> keep trying to persuade him not to. But a lot of people in the hotel who've been with the hotel a long time, and actually, they've all absorbed sort of uh, a Rocco 40 philosophy um, because we want to, we, we try and make our hotels very unpompous because a lot of luxury hotels tend to be uh, that way uh, but still very professional and sort of, sort of have a very friendly and open atmosphere with, a, uh, with our guests and we, and we succeed. People always tell me actually that uh, anecdotally about, about my hotels how friendly and nice uh, the staff are
0: but it also gets down to the design of the hotel. I, I'm a firm believer, and tell me if you agree with this, that nobody who ever designs a hotel should ever be paid for their work until they've been forced to spend at least three nights in the room they designed. Because I get so crazy about the lack of common sense in so much hotel design today. All I really want is good lighting. Obviously, the things that touch my body, the sheets, the shower head, all those things, you want yes. that to be work. But I want connectivity, I want good lighting. Uh, And I want the ability to control my environment. Um, So many designers give you mood lighting in the room, and that's all you get. And it puts me in a very bad mood because people don't change their lifestyle when they change their location. They want to read in their room. What a concept. They want to be able to think in their room. And if you've only got a 40-watt bulb in there with an on-off switch, you've got a problem. Yeah.
4: But, I mean, there's a, a lot of this environmental stuff, right. of course, affects that because the, the light bulbs you're allowed to use now as such. They don't give off any light or the light, or the light they give off is of the wrong color. And, uh, and that's something we, you know, we, have, we have to struggle with. As, exactly. as, as, you know, as I, I, actually,
0: you. I actually know people who travel with their own light bulbs. I actually know business uh, travelers who take their own light bulbs with them. Because they can't work in the room. Yeah. I was staying at one hotel in Miami. I took one look at
4: the room and I called down housekeeping. I said, can you
0: please send up 10 floor
4: lamps? <laughs> because
0: I couldn't see.
4: But, we, um, we, we, you know, you, you don't always get it, get it right. And, and a lot of these older hotels have, you know, you don't, you're not building, every, every room isn't the same. Every room is different. Right. You have to take a slightly different approach. to. But isn't it great it that every
0: room is, is different?
4: It is great that way. Yeah, well, it, may, it gives a hotel a lot more character. Yeah. But, um, and of course, my sister is involved in Well, your the, sister designed this. ...in the design of, of, of most of our hotels. Right. So we use outside designers. But she does a lot of the hotels directly herself. And in the, in the case of this hotel, she did She did that. By the way, the light's
0: fine. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and uh, It works. We've completely redone the, the, the hotel over the last 18 months, actually. We've redone all the rooms uh, and... Uh, so it's uh, it's in a very good place. This hotel.
0: Well, every hotel is in one form or another, in one stage or another of either renovation or restoration. It's just the, the cycle of the hotel.
4: Yeah, that's one of the terrible things about the hotel business. <laughs> You've got to spend, keep spending money on the hotel.
0: <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> but the bottom line is, if you know, it, if you have a good basic product to work with, it yeah. doesn't take much yeah. much energy or, or commitment to figure it out.
4: If you're sorry, if you if you,
0: if you know what you're doing with it to begin with, it doesn't take a whole lot of energy or commitment to figure out yeah. what you need to do to yes. keep it going.
4: That's right. But I mean, if you're doing major work in a hotel, of course, it's always, it's always going to be disruptive.
0: When you look at a hotel today, what is it? I'm going to ask you to take off your your chairman hat for a second and put on your guest hat. When you walk into a hotel, what's the one thing, any hotel, doesn't have to be one of your hotels, what's the one thing that you look at and go, okay, that's wrong?
4: Well, I mean, I, I, the thing I look at most is, you know, what sense of warmth and welcome is there in the hotel? You go into a hotel... Uh, sometimes, and there's no one bothering with you, there's no one, some people are going through the motions you get to, there's only one p- person behind the reception desk with about five people waiting, uh, there's no acknowledgement that you're there, and so on, and and so you you want to go to a hotel and feel that you're, that the staff are very pleased to see you, and, and, and you're welcome. There.
1: Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: take me long on this show to get to one of my favorite topics when it comes to brussels no it's not belgian waffles we will get the chocolate we will get the french fries but we can't talk about brussels without talking about beer i mean leave it to the belgians to perfect that art and that science and that craft and joining me now the founder of the brussels beer project
5: olivia de bravo did i get did i get the right name yeah, it's good. Actually, by the way, it means the uh, brewer in Dutch. The brewer. The brewer. My name means the brewer in Dutch. Oh, so then I didn't now, have now the I know choice I'm in trouble. To a now I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> what is the Brussels Beer Project? Um, Brussels Beer Project is uh, is a new um, brewery project uh, that started uh, four years ago, um, and basically with my co-founder Seb, we wanted to give some freshness to the, the Belgian market.
0: And before you even get to that. Mm. I mean, there are restaurants, I I know there's one in in Washington, D.C., where he has about 60 different Belgian beers on tap. But Uh, how many beers from Brussels? A lot. From Brussels? Well, no, from Belgium. Ah, yeah. Ah, uh, see. But most people don't think of that. They don't make that distinction, right? It's Belgian beer. But this is Brussels beer.
5: This is Brussels beer, but what makes it very unique is the, the fact that we uh, create beers in a different way from the other breweries. So we have lots of different beers, but also we involve the public very much in everything what we do. How? The crowdfunding, for instance. So the brewery in the center here of downtown Brussels was funded by 2,500 crowdfunders with a unique concept of beer for life.
0: Crowdfunding beer. Yeah. So basically, if you're you're a crowdfunder, you're going to be drinking all the
5: time. For your full life, yeah. So basically, you give (laughs) €160 once, and you get 12 beers, Every year for your full life. So that it, was it's a the, beer of the month community Club. For us. Oh my God, <laughs> that's what it is. is. Yeah, 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 sure. We actually have 20 different countries participating, people from 20 different countries. But the only condition is you, you need to come here in the brewery well, to that, pick up your beer. Because
0: it's such a small production, you, you can't really ship all over the world.
5: We actually do export to 20 countries. Right. Uh, Two thirds of the sales are still here in Brussels, which is very important for us because this is where our communities. Uh, but we still do export a lot. We are actually opening in Tokyo in two weeks from now, the first Brussels Beer Project Bar. Now, do they get the same deal there if they crowdfund it in Tokyo? Uh, they- it's an option, not yet decided, <laughs> not, not yet official, but uh, we, we are thinking about this, year. What makes
0: Belgian beer, we'll get to Brussels beer in a second, so different?
5: I don't know. To be honest, um, we, we, have, we, we try to be a, a nice mix between Belgian beers with the know how the quality of the beers, the quality of the raw materials. But we also get a lot of inspiration from what's happening outside Belgium. So we are a bit of an ovni in the Belgian market. This is why I was saying we we try to give a bit of freshness to the market because we don't want to be traditional. We don't want to be a a classic Belgian beer. Uh, We want to be a mix.
0: What what is a classic Belgian beer?
5: But first of all, I think it's uh, it's some styles that are specific from Belgium, like blonde, double, triple. Obviously, all the gueuze, lambic. Uh, um, I mean, there are a few styles like saison, which are a bit typical from Belgium. But it's also a way to do it, like you bottle conditions, so there is a refermentation in the bottle, which gives uh, a very nice longevity longevity to the beer.
0: Is that a heavier beer?
5: Um, it's sometimes perceived as heavier beer, um, but we go in the other direction. We, we try to go lighter beers. Uh, we, we find it's much more interesting to have more different beers, but not being drunk uh, than having one heavy, heavy beer.
0: Is that the trend these days to get away from the heavier beers?
5: Uh, it is a trend, but it's, uh, it's a slow trend and difficult trend because the lighter you go, obviously the less body you have in the beer. So people say, oh, no, it's too light. Uh, I don't have enough for my money. So you need to educate a lot of of the people.
0: Now, in the United States, of course, the explosion for the last 10 years has been in all the craft breweries, all the artisanal breweries. Every city now is doing its own brew, which is unusual but true. How do you compete with that?
5: I think, first of all, you need to be very strong in your own city. The reason why there are so many local breweries is people like to to drink local. So I think you need to be very, very strong in your home city. Then for export, I think you need to uh, pick up a few cities. Um, I mean, we are very popular in the, in the big cities because all the concept of crowdfunding, crowdsourcing and so on, it's is a bit more urban. And in these cities, you need to, uh, to be involved to, to build your community like we do in Tokyo now with a bar, with a Facebook page, with events. Uh, you, we go there to represent, to explain what we're trying to do. Uh, but clearly, you, you shouldn't go everywhere because there are so many good breweries everywhere that, I mean, it's impossible to to, uh, to shoot everywhere.
0: So if I'm coming to Brussels, how do I find your beer? In all the good bars. Uh, <laughs> <this> is, uh, <laughs> so I don't have to be a member and get it every month. I no, actually, no. no, no,
5: no, no, no. We actually do sell 6,000 bottles per day. So two-thirds being in Brussels. Uh, so meaning there are 4,000 bottles every day being drunk in Brussels. So lots of bars, good restaurants, but also retailers. Right, but,
0: but I don't go to a bar and ask for the Brussels Beer Project. I ask for a specific kind of beer.
5: Um, actually, you can ask to the bartender what you have for, from Brussels Beer Project. And, and then whatever explain. it is, you get it. Yeah. I mean, we, we have more than 20, 20 different beers every year. So it's changing very fast.
6: If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information.
0: If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I, am a passenger. I always look for the American expats everywhere I go, and my next guest certainly qualifies for that. You've been here how long?
3: Well, I've been in Brussels for eight years. I've been in Europe for 25. So basically, they haven't found you. No, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm kind of lucky. Also, I have two passports. I have a French passport and American passport, so I'm a sort of an international so man So basically,
0: of he, he's also in the Witness Relocation Program. His name <laughs> is Chris Burns. You've seen him on That's CNN, right. the AP, you name it. He's been yeah, there. Excellent. And yeah, exactly. you live in, in Brussels.
3: Yes, yes. I, two, two kids, Polish wife. And born in Los guitars. Angeles. Yes, born in L.A. So basically, yeah. you're a global guy. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, why Brussels? Because uh, I got transferred here. I love Berlin. Uh, we bought a place. We loved Ber- it. You
0: know, Berlin. I. You know, everybody's talking about Munich and Frank. No. Berlin is a hot
3: city. Berlin is happening because yeah. you've got the high and the low culture, the anti culture, the startups, the government. Everybody's there.
0: And you also have Cadeve, which to me oh, it's oh, awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I get lost in that place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kid in a candy shop. All right, but you got sign to Brussels. So it's like, okay, I'm going to Brussels, but yeah. now you're here.
3: Yeah, well, you know, a, a three hour tour. I'm, I'm stuck here because because everybody knows me here uh, through CNN, through Euronews. I had a talk show. So it's this is where my work is, and it's where a lot of American companies are based, international companies, the lingu- Franca is English, because the, the Francophones here refuse to speak Dutch, and the, and Dutch the refuse Flemish to refuse to speak French, so yeah. the, by default it's English. So by default you're in Brussels. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, bottom line. Yeah, but it's also really great. The spirit is amazing, because nobody really, I mean, apart from the Belgians, uh, everybody's from somewhere else, but you feel at home. You know, the first time we got here, we went to a hotel and we're miserable. It was raining. It sucked. And we asked the guy who's African at the desk at the reception. We said, so what? uh, Why do you like it here? You're from Africa. This weather sucks. He says, I feel free because nobody there's no sort of Leitung's culture. Everybody can be what they want here for better or worse. Which explains the boy peeing. Yes. Uh, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's right. Right? Because he gets to do what he wants to do. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But the bottom line is you're staying. (laughs) Well, you know, that's where my opportunity is. You know, I leave wide open where I would go, and I would love someday to live in the sun you know be it in California be it in the south of france we'll see although when i got here yesterday it was a beautiful sunny day yeah there are some exceptions yes yeah. <laughs> but the weather notwithstanding it's yeah. the spirit yeah exactly and and really it's the, the, the yes yeah, the spirit and also y- you got to look at brussels it it doesn't have like you know the eiffel tower okay it has this tiny little statue of a boy peeing and it's a, it's a big disappointment really but apart <laughs> from that it's it's really a, a it's a good vibe it's a great vibe and you every little you have 19 districts here and Each district has a little market, a little square, and so it's—it's got its it's own character, its own flavor. It's like a big little city.
0: When people come to visit you from America, yeah, you remember America now, don't you? Sometimes. Okay. What's their biggest surprise that they're not expecting?
3: Um, That they don't have to drive everywhere. I think that's one big thing. You walk everywhere. You walk, and the and the public transit's fantastic. Yeah, and you bike and you bike. They have these, you know, rental bikes. You can go anywhere. I've I've saved. Thousands on taxes and
0: where we are right now—the Hotel Amigo—you couldn't have a better location because you can walk just about. Just yeah. look at it as a hub and spoke. It's just anywhere yeah. you want to go.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And but, but Brussels has sort of little, you know, knots and things. You know, I mean, you go over to the or the university. There's a there's a place where there are lots of bars. You have to sort of know where to go. You know. All right. So where do you go? Uh, I go there. I go to the university. They, they, but where do you like to get, go hang out? Where and I go hang go? out. We say I have a band. I have a, I have an indie rock band. Now and so you we see play, you bury the and lead. We're playing. Okay. A, tomorrow, we're playing. Uh, we play about every month, right? And and uh, and we play in bars right around here actually. Wow. Yeah. And it's great fun. So that's what I do. So basically you're a hyphenate. You're a journalist and a musician. Yes, yes. And
0: and what what instrument do you play?
3: I play guitar, Rickenbacker, uh, 63, and I I write, I sing. Amazing. Yeah, We just, we're finishing an album right now. We're called the Tigers of Eden. Go on Facebook, Tigers of Eden. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Brussels,
0: Belgium. But second question is, Where do you go to hang out for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that's not in the guidebook? Yeah, that that you know that are real dives that you love here in, in Brussels.
3: Yeah, well there are there are quite a few. I think you know, if, if, actually, if you're sort of an artsy type person, you would go around Les Sablons, the Sa- place de des de Grand Sablon. Right around there is radiates out all these galleries, uh, and it's a fantastic place and and very classical. And there are lots of cool little Restaurants, Italian restaurants, uh, Asian, all kinds, and there's bowling nearby even too. It's great. Bowling? You mentioned bowling. Uh, uh, Believe it or not. Yes. And traditional with pin spotters or 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 state of the art. Uh, Yeah, it's pin spotters. It's it's basic. Okay, but it's quaint. It's okay. And then you walk a block down. You go to the La Porte Noire, the black door that my band played there as well. It's this underground café concert. Uh, You know, you're in the the Middle Ages listening to gothic rock or something. It's cool. It's cool. And isn't it ironic that for so many years, you know, Belgian jokes are like Polish jokes. People never took Belgium seriously. Well, especially the French. Somehow there's sort of this rivalry and the French make fun of the Belgians and that kind of thing. But but it's it's ridiculous. It's it's. And I have to mention too, also a few steps from here is a great jazz club where a buddy of mine plays guitar all the time. It's called the Music Village. Check it out. It's really good. Cool. And do they open late at night? Very late. Until midnight. After, yeah. Well, it better be after midnight if it's going to be really late at night. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's true. And then if you get tired of that, then there are all kinds of these dance clubs Because listen, when
0: me. I first came to Belgium, it closed at 8 o'clock at night. So
3: no. things, are, things are changing. No, no. The sidewalk doesn't roll up until very late. All true. right. True. Chris
0: Burns. Unbelievable stuff.
5: Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the
1: radio.
0: With no particular place to go. And joining us now is someone who I haven't seen in about three years. The last time I was here, I got into serious trouble with him because we got to make our own chocolate at his place. And of course, you know what that meant? We ate it. Uh, and it got crazy. But I will say this, and I say this unabashedly, you know, with all due respect to my friends in Switzerland, it's the Belgians who own the chocolate for me. It's the Belgians who own the, not the waffles, but it's the Belgians who've got the beer, and it's the Belgians who've got the french fries, but they really have the chocolate. And uh, joining me now is someone who uh, got to play with me three years ago. I got to play with him, a major chocolatier, uh, Laurent Gerbeau. How are you, sir?
7: Hello, Peter. Very nice. Thank you.
0: You know, when I just said hi to you when you came in, into, into the room, the very first thing you said is so much has changed in, in the three years that we haven't seen each other yeah. uh, here in Belgium, and you brought some chocolate today, which is even more dangerous. <laughs> uh, but in terms of chocolate, you heard my introduction about how the Belgians really have their act together when it comes to chocolate, and I think you'd be the first one to, to agree that I walk out from this hotel, I can turn left, I can turn right, I can go straight, I can go in circles. I can't go more than 20 feet without finding a chocolate store.
7: Yeah, you, you don't own Brussels, so you have lots of chocolate stores, uh, lots of very nice ones too, and uh, we're completely addicted with chocolate. We eat like eight or nine kilos per year. Per person. Yes, that's for the small consumer. <laughs> uh, so uh,
0: you know, it's it, it's sort of like wine making. If you take a look at the uh, at the Argentinians, for example, they make wine because they like wine. They actually drink what they make, especially the Malbecs. The Chileans make wine for other people. They don't really, they're not really really big wine drinkers. In Belgium, you make chocolate and you eat it.
7: We we drink and we eat everything we produce. So uh, we, I'm I'm more a beer drinker than a wine drinker, for example. Uh, i have lots of friends uh, owning breweries so it's even uh, worse for me so no, we we a big addict of uh, we we lo- really like and we love what we do and we like to share it uh we're very happy i mean to to offer chocolates or to offer beers coming to friends uh, how did you get flowers. started but how did you
0: get started in chocolate
7: uh i come from a family of uh, of baker and pastry chefs, so uh oh uh oh <laughs> <laughs> And um, I had to follow uh, normal studies. So I, I attended uh, law and uh, medieval history. But I was always uh, yeah, in love with cuisine, gastronomy. And finally, I decided, I switched for chocolate. So it started like a hobby and then a big hobby. And uh, now it's, it's a nice small company. Well, it's a passion. Yeah, it's a total passion. I mean. Uh,
0: okay, then I have to ask this question. As an American, what do I not understand about chocolate? What should I know?
7: The big thing is you have you have a better knowledge of wine in U.S., uh, but for the chocolate, you should look at chocolate like for the the cépage, the different cépages, different families of cacao, and it's exactly the same extraordinary um, tasty uh, world for cacao. But cacao
0: is a relatively recent word in the lexicon for most Americans. And you'll see chocolate and say, oh, it's 40% cacao or 72% cacao. Nobody even knows what that means.
7: Well, it means that uh, the rest is sugar. So if you eat a 60% cacao, 40% is sugar. So 11% cacao means you're eating sugar. Only sugar. You, you, better, eat, <laughs> you better directly buy sugar. is cheaper. So, but um, now in the U.S. you have a big movement uh, called Bean to Bar with small producers starting from the beans, exactly like you had uh, with the beer and with the the coffee. And it's very interesting. You have more and more very nice chocolate makers in U.S. But re- you really switch from mass production to the extra deluxe uh, version. So it's quite funny for us, yeah.
0: But you know if you, if you if you do the mass production chocolate like Hershey's, right if you look at the ingredients on the back of that bar, you're seeing all sorts of like uh, thinners like lecithin and, and all sorts of other chemicals you don't do that.
7: No we don't need it. We make fresh products, uh, small production, small batches uh, we produce every week uh, but what fresh you're also batch. S-
0: but what you're also saying is if I buy one of your chocolates, I better eat it soon.
7: Uh, for some, yes. For the, those with cream, you can keep them, uh, if the cream is born, you can keep them like four weeks. And uh, then you maybe still one more week, but the taste will start to go down very quickly. So what we prefer to do is to sell fresh batches. And when we we sold out, you have to wait uh, the other week. So
0: Really? Yeah. Is there a waiting list for your chocolate?
7: Not yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you'd like there to be. What is, from a creative point of view, your most challenging kind of chocolate to make?
7: I recently made one with uh, Taggiasc uh, olives, olives from uh, north of Italy, from Liguria. And it's really, really nice, but it's with a salty taste. So it's quite... So uh, there's
0: salted caramel and now you have salted olive.
7: Yeah. So wow. it's really nice because at first you don't you don't see directly that it's olive, and then it comes step by step. And on top of it, we we've dried uh, pieces of those olives as decoration, but it gives lots of salt uh, on the lip also. So it's really nice. It's really fun. You have one here. Oh, in the you bag. brought me one. Yeah, oh boy.
0: <laughs> oh boy. But what's the most popular kind of chocolate that people are buying here in, in Belgium?
7: Um, we love praline. So it's a mix of nuts. It's like a, a, a yeah nuts puree. I have a crazy one. You've tried it last time. Uh, It's called Garon Noisette, the one that explodes in your mouth. Yes, yes. I'm (laughs) I'm still recovering from that one.
0: Uh, But the whole key is to keep the production small because otherwise you you can't control it.
7: The thing is that if we go too too big, um, we will need other machines, uh, less people. And then it's less fun uh, because you just make mass production and you need to, to freeze it to keep it uh, and to sell it at, uh, at Christmas. So the big issue with mass production is that they produce during uh, four, three, four months of the year, they freeze, and then they defreeze step by step. So here we close during the summer. Uh, everybody goes on holiday. We're happy to see each other uh, mid-August to start again. And uh, yeah, I, li- I like it to, to make it small. Yeah so there's a season for chocolate yeah big season so it's really october till easter and the rest is relaxed time that's why we we see each other this morning because <laughs> <laughs> you're relaxed yeah yeah, million no, holidays
5: i love it
1: there you go keep that going this is flight 372 on swa the flight attendants on board serving you today Teresa in the middle david in the back My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash, you gotta pay with
0: plastic. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. My next guest is uh, someone who was born in Belgium but not in Brussels, who's actually lived here since 1984, considered one of the premier stylists in town, so it means she knows everybody and she's cutting edge. Have that for an introduction. Linda von Westbroek, how are you?
2: Good morning, Peter. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. And I'm fine.
0: Good. Most of my friends, I will be honest with you, know nothing about Brussels. They know it's in Belgium, if we're lucky. You were born in Flanders. They don't even know where Flanders is. They don't know Antwerp. They don't know Bruges. But they've heard of Brussels, probably because of the European Union. But their knowledge of the city doesn't go very far.
2: But, Uh, But even the Belgian people often do not know the hidden secrets of Brussels because this is a very eclectic city with a lot of treasures but you really can't see it at first sight. So it's a beautiful city but also a complicated city and though it's quite small for European American standards, you really have to come and discover it for yourself. Where you are now, in the center of Brussels, near the marketplace, is a good spot to start, and then you either can walk or not walk, and, and really, really discover the beauty of the city. But indeed, it's... Uh, you need to to work a little bit to discover it.
0: I would guess and I'm I'm not going to guess. I actually believe that Brussels is a city you need to walk. Yes. you must walk because you don't have to walk very far to see history.
2: It's true, so from where we're here now when we could go uptown walking, which is a completely different part of the city, but in fifteen minutes walking you're there and you discover something completely different if you go 5 minutes further you're at the Chatelain, another part very great a lot of experts go there and and that's again something completely different and in the meantime you discover a lot of galleries restaurants nice shops beautiful flea markets antiques so it's it's really worth walking and when it's raining no problem, because one minute later it's not raining anymore.
0: (laughs) So, what is the biggest surprise discovery for you about Brussels?
2: Even now, I know Brussels really well, and even now I discover things that really amaze me, but you have to literally open doors. So, sometimes when I walk, I see some door, I say, Tiens, what would be behind this? And you open it when it's possible to open it, when it's not private. And often you see another house at the back or a big garden. I say, wow. And you have that really a lot of times if you open your eyes. But that's not typical to Brussels. It's anywhere in the world you Open your eyes and you see things.
0: Although in Brussels, if you're walking, your advice is to open every door you can.
2: (laughs) Well, no, but just (laughs) to check. Every door you can, every (laughs) door that you can. Yes, voila, you couldn't Mm. intrude. Yes. But in terms of style,
0: as an art center, as a cutting-edge opportunity for artists to display, what's changed?
2: What's changed is that we are really the only cosmopolitan town in Belgium. Because this is Brussels and we have the, the railway stations like from one, uh, one hour from Paris, two hours something from London. You're perfectly we, located. Yeah. It's so easy. So all the creative people here can go places in no time. I'm quicker in Paris than in Ostend at the coast, at the Belgian coast, which is by train one hour, 20 minutes. Faster and to go to Paris. Paris is one hour and something. And we're and at there. the terrace at the Gare du Nord drinking a, a cappuccino or whatever. So we also, the thing here is the mix of people. We have a real lot of nationalities, not only the posh expats, but a lot of different kind of people, a lot of creative people, a lot of creation made in Brussels, based in Brussels. Well, let's, well, let's Brussels. talk about that. As, yeah. as a designer, Yeah,
0: what makes fashion different in Brussels?
2: The Belgian characters are different. So you couldn't say Belgian fashion is this or that because they're all very individual, as they should be, but uh, the main point could be an urge for quality and an urge for not following trends. So the Belgian fashion, the good one, if you buy a, a designer piece today... You could wear it in 14 years and still look great. And no one would think, what is she wearing? This is so <laughs> old-fashioned, so last century. No, it remains really a perfect piece.
0: So what you're saying is the Belgian style is a style that endures.
2: True. Hello,
1: uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. It's water running.
0: From the very first day I came to Brussels, of course, everybody is always telling me I had to check this out. I had to look at it. I had to go find it. Not difficult to find because it's very public and it's very visible. And it it doesn't necessarily symbolize the city, but it's something that people need to come and see. It's the little boy. It's the little boy doing something. Basically, he's urinating. And uh, books have been written about it. Stories have been told about it. He's been costumed. He's dressed in different costumes from time to time. But the person who knows a lot about that and the history of Brussels entirely is uh, Raul Jacobs, who's also the author of a book about the little boy urinating. <laughs> welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. <laughs> so, so why, I mean, you cannot go to a store in Brussels without seeing them selling the little metal statues of the little boy. They're ev- He's everywhere. What's the history
8: of this? It's very important because it's... Uh the essentials of the mentality of people from Brussels. And uh, that's the problem. To explain it, I need some historical elements who are far from that fountain. In in fact, when you consider history today in uh, this part of Europe, the problem is that there is a very big influence of nationalist thinking, especially about linguistic national thinking. And that makes that uh, in the rest of Belgium, Not everybody likes Brussels because we are the only place in the country who refuses to be only Dutch speaking or only French speaking. And it's a pity that things are always considered in that way because that is not at all historic. Linguistic problems didn't exist before modern times, before modern democracy, modern industry. And when you go back in the past, you are in a completely different world. In fact, our real history is that we are, after the north of Italy, the oldest and the most important urban network of Europe. A a, a capital. A capital don't exist before 16th century. Right, but not a capital in a literal sense, but a capital in terms of bringing people together. Yeah, that's certainly. Because, in fact, in this part of Europe, any 25 kilometers, you have a small town. Any 50 kilometers, you have a big town. And that is completely exceptional in Europe in the medieval period. It's The difference is... Certainly as important as you have in the States with the towns on the east side and the west side and the rest between, which is completely different.
0: Believe me, we understand that all too well these days. (laughs) But
8: getting back to the statue, right, it's still an iconic piece of work that people need to come and see. Yes, because when you consider that urban network, each of the towns in the network had a special function. And Brussels never was the most important commercial town, our industrial town, our religious center. But Brussels became a political center, and that explains, in fact, that the fountain could become so important. Uh, When you are a very important financial center in your communication with the outside world, you don't laugh about yourself. You even make yourself more important than you already are to explain the negotiations you want to make. But our history is not financial. Our history is politic. As I said, in the medieval period, you don't have a capital in the modern sense. You only have residential places where the rulers are more than on other places. Okay, but now I've got to turn you around. That's the history. How did the statue get here? that is the relation with the statue in fact what happened was that we told to the rulers if they came here that they could have all the facilities that they wanted and that makes a completely other way of communication than for example in the financial way you tell to the ruler come to live here so we can have a special industrial history making high level luxus production for the rulers and we give him the impression that all what they want, they will have it. And behind their back, we have to organize ourselves to do what we want to do. And that makes that self-relativation, self-ironic, is the essential of the Brussels spirit. Okay, now I've got to stop you for so a second.
0: <laughs> I keep going back to the statue and you yeah. keep
8: talking about medieval times. Tell me how the statue got here and why it's here. But first of all, it's a public fountain. And in all the towns of medieval Europe, fountains are very, very important. We know that the first organization of all the towns was related to the distribution of water in the town. Okay, so you knew you had to have a fountain. It was a very important thing to have. Why this boy? That is a tradition that also exists in the medieval period where we don't have the sexual frustrations of Victorian age in 19th century and where they consider that the naked body is a symbol of life, a symbol of fertility, and that all that the body is producing is also a symbol of life, a symbol of fertility. And then you have the And and a symbol of freedom? Of uh, the special thing here is that the boy is naked. Yeah. And that official people when they come to him, he is not dressing himself in respect to the people. So, And that is something related to the town. We, we have the... I mean, with, with all due respect, is, is the boy basically saying to all the visitors, I piss on you? Yes and no, because <laughs> in Brussels, nothing is white or black. The idea is he is doing it, but it's not a problem because it's a small boy and a small boy can do that. So he can get away with it. And yeah. And that is that is in fact Brussels' mentality. When we say to the rulers, come to live here, you can do what you want. And when in their back we try to organise ourselves to do what we want to do, you don't make a clear communication in black and white. For example, when we say in Brussels no, we say we doute And that means something like yes, maybe. And when we say yes. We say non peut être, and that means something like no, maybe. And it's so only you, so when So, what you're you telling
0: me is that Brussels is the capital of maybe.
8: Of yes, of. <laughs> of don't say yes, say maybe. <laughs> of a way of, a way, of a way, of thinking where things are not always as clear as that because you have a much bigger ability to do things when you don't do it in a very, without nuancing things. I got and it. And in, in that sense, in fact, self-irony is the symbol of Brussels, is the identity of Brussels.
5: We have clearance,
4: Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our
1: vector, Victor? our Radio, clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger.
0: Huh? We always like to talk to expats, and I think this man is the poster child for expats. He, uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's an international executive. He's a business leader. And his mantra is, make your money in America and spend it in Europe, which is why I think you're here. <laughs> Leonard Trank, otherwise known as Lenny. How are you, sir?
6: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: So, why Brussels?
6: Brussels, well, I got recruited uh, to be CEO of Swift for 15 years. But many of my friends say, why am I still here? And like I say, making money in America, spend it in Europe. Life is, uh, quality of life here is fun. It's good. In what way? Look, in Brussels, you're one hour from Paris by the bullet train, two hours from London by Eurostar. You have the seaside, you have the, the forest. Everyone speaks English. <laughs> uh, restaurants are fabulous. Great international schools. It's a wonderful place.
0: And so this is almost an accident for you. got recruited here, and then all of a sudden yeah, and then you And it out.
6: Yeah, and we stayed. We have many friends here. It's, it's, it's a lovely place to visit.
0: And when you think about all of your American friends and how much they don't know about Brussels, let alone Belgium, mm. I mean, you're always educating them.
6: Yeah, well, a lot of them ask, why are the restaurants so good in Brussels, even better than in Paris? And I tell them, well, what's the biggest industry in, in Brussels? It's bureaucracy. And what do you do with a bureaucrat? You take them to lunch. So they have to have, they've <laughs> got to have the infrastructure to keep this place running.
0: All right. So, since you are talking about food and you've been here a long time, where do you go for lunch? That may not be in the guidebook, that may not be in the brochure, that is like your favorite place and why?
6: Well, uh, I do a lot of work from home now because I, I work basically. Uh, okay. But on
0: those special occasions, Lenny, when you go out, where <laughs> ah, do you go?
6: Oh, we go, oh, just literally a five minute walk is a wonderful restaurant, Brasserie Georges. Uh, right next to the forest on Avenue Winston Churchill. It's a it's a great brasserie, very well known. Or here, where we're located, in uh, not far in the in the Sablon, wonderful restaurant Au Vieux Saint Martin. It's always busy, always bustling. No reservations, but you always can get a seat. It's very nice.
0: Now you just gave me a, a contradiction in terms. Always busy, but you can always get a seat.
6: Yeah, it's it's somehow it, it you know you just oh and maybe maybe have to wait three minutes, but. It moves. I don't know why, but <laughs> I've never had a problem. But it's 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 always full. But I always get a seat.
0: And when your friends from the states visit you, what's their biggest surprise, other than the quality of the food?
6: Biggest surprise? Well, I'm not not sure that's the right term. They they they, uh, they don't want to leave. <laughs> they're here. We make them feel at home. We we have a guest room, and uh, they. So you're enjoy you're operating it. it's an nice. Airb- you're operating an Airbnb, admit. It. <laughs> Uh, not not th- let's not advertise that <laughs> not really no. not really the children are grounds but we, we have a big house yes
0: but in a world of change in which the u.s dollar is now so strong against so many foreign currencies including yeah. the euro of course yeah. it almost got down to a par with it uh and against the british pound um we're seeing in the united states a a, euro, a huge drop off in inbound travel to the u.s because a of the, ba- of the power of the the euro brexit uh, or the lack of power of the euro, the Brexit situation, and also, of course, our current presidential administration's immigration ban, if you will. Even though it hasn't been upheld by the courts, it's sent a, a shockwave of fear throughout many parts of the world. You're living here. What do you see here?
6: From here, well, as you said, it's it's uh, become very um, reasonable to be a tourist in, in in this part of Europe now. The, the euro is low compared to the dollar. So I would hope tourism will increase. And uh, I, I'm not, I hope that hasn't been an impact on tourism here because it's, it's, you know, this country deserves it. And other countries are wonderful places for Americans to visit. And they're wonderful tourists. When they come, they spend money. <laughs> well, you're back
0: to the spending money. What do you spend your money on here?
6: Uh, <laughs> just uh, life is good. You, you know, and it's not that hard to enjoy yourself without spending a lot of money. Uh, I play golf. I swim. I walk in the woods a lot. Bicycle, and I travel a lot. I, I have a, most of my business is in London, in Boston, New York, Washington. And the
0: beautiful thing about where you are geographically located is you can literally commute to London if you want it's to.
6: It's easy, yeah, yeah. And Americans are most stunned by the trains here. It's the one thing we haven't really developed well in the States. You know, the Acela is not the same thing as the Eurostar. Well, or the we're TGV. more than
0: stunned, we're embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, I mean if you take a look at, at Amtrak... Um, you know, and the infrastructure therein or lack of therein, we have a situation in which the Acela, you mentioned it, I mean, it may get up to 125 miles an hour for 29 miles. And then it can't go any faster or any further because if it did, it would derail because the state of the tracks, the state of the technology, it's it's pathetic.
6: I mean, the biggest complaint I have getting on the train from uh, Brussels to Paris, you don't have enough time to read the newspaper. It's, you know, and it's about the distance from Boston to New York. You know, it's an hour and a few minutes. Yeah, but you're going a lot faster. A lot faster. Yeah, that's, uh, and they, they really should. Boston, New York, Washington. Oh, they should. They bet. should. They shouldn't this be flying. I'm going to give that.
0: you a scary statistic. Yeah. It, it blew my mind. This year, we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the bullet train in Japan. Yeah. 50 years, yeah. and we still can't figure out yeah. our train system in America.
6: Let's hope we, we can do better.
0: Well, we have to change the basic structure of it because what most people don't realize is Amtrak doesn't own the tracks; mm. it's owned by the freight lines. Mm. They could care less about high-speed rail.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's always complex. Uh, but that's that's why I said it's nice, nice here. We have good infrastructure here,
0: and you can basically do London for breakfast, and Paris for lunch, and right Luxembourg <laughs> for dinner. I mean,
6: it's, if you want, <laughs> no, but and you can, you you could. <laughs> well, yes, that's but your the, business. <laughs> but the,
0: but isn't that perfectly about about the options of travel that you can?
6: Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why 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 we like it here because it's it's easy for me to get around and uh, it's a wonderful place to to be many friends, many restaurants and it's a pleasant place.
0: And of course you then disabuse most of your friends of the notion that Switzerland is the chocolate king because it's here.
6: Well, that's that they say about Brussels, you've got coffee, chocolate, pommes frites, moule, uh you know, you forgot that,
0: one. Yeah. Beer.
6: Beer. Oh, yeah. They have what? 600, 800 beers in Belgium. It's really good. Like I said, it's a great place to be.
0: Okay. Now, let's talk about something that Americans are still confused about, and that's Brexit. Yeah. How has that impacted
6: things? Well, it's, you know, you've got Brexit. You've got the elections. I mean, people are in shock. My daughter, for example, she had a good point. She's grown now, but she, she almost cried because she feels she's European you know, even though she's French and American. She, and she's sad about it. the ch- The youth is very, very hurt by that because the, they saw Europe as, as their playground. And this could be the beginning of the end of that. So, I, you know, everyone's concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about Europe than I am about England, Britain. I think Brits will, the Brits will, will will get through this, although I wish they, it hadn't come out this way. Well, what people don't
0: realize, there's so many agreements that have to be now renegotiated.
6: This could take five years. Yeah, no, I don't think... Everybody realized I just, it's it's the world's got some problems. It's pretty complex, and uh, I mean, it, whether you like a lot not, of uncertainty.
0: Well, whether you like it or not, it's going to be slow walks because they can't go any faster with all those agreements.
6: No, no, and we'll see in the next few months. Really, you know how this thing might end up, but uh, you know, it's 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 uncertain, and it's it's not healthy for business. Let's put it that way.
0: How does business adjust then?
6: Well. Uh, one, one, uh, one week at a time. They, they, uh, they uh, th- things will go go forward. Uh, I work with banks now, and you know they're making plans. If you know, depending on the nature of the Brexit, whether they have to put more staff on the continent or not, depending on the the regulatory requirements and the legal requirements. So they'll adapt. They'll all get through this thing. But it's going to add more friction, uh, lower profits, uh, and uh, but they will get through it. But it's it's it net net. It's it's not necessarily that great for you. I mean,
9: when you
0: think about the one of the things that I would call one of the beauties of Belgium, or I should say Brussels in particular, is that you are a melting pot. You are an international city where you're not completely consumed with nationalism in that respect. That might be affecting other countries.
6: Well, there are there are two schools. That's that's the pro Europe school. That you know, Europe. Uh, uh, this great, you know, the United States of Europe. That's what the uh, others like to have their national identity and their sovereignty and so there are two, two sides to this but you can have a, a calm reasonable debate about it and that's what's Hello and going welcome on now
1: to alaska flight
2: 438 we'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft the most
1: important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants please look at one now
0: talked about the Bogosian Foundation, an opportunity for you to help to give back when you travel right here locally. Well, guess who's on the show right now? The owner and founder of the Bogosian Foundation, Sean Bogosian. How are you, sir?
9: Fine, fine.
0: Now, you're not from, from. I mean, you're Lebanese.
9: I am Lebanese, I'm of Ar- Ar- Armenian origin, and born in Aleppo, so I have a long time. Born history. in Syria? Born in Syria, Aleppo, the, si- the, t- the city that is today oh, totally so destroyed.
0: It must be so sad for you to see w- the damage. It's not just damage, it's the total destruction.
9: Of course, of course. And the, 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 the civilization that's being, uh, I mean, you you wipe out a uh, whole part of the history of, of Aleppo. How long have you been in Brussels? 1975, first gunshot in the civil war in Lebanon. I decided I don't understand what means a civil war, who is shooting on who, why, and apparently sometime your neighbor and your brother can be shooting in the evening and the next day. Time to get having out. Co- So time to get out. That was 42 years ago. That was 1975, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> But why Brussels? Brussels, because of the diamond business, because uh, I had learned my business in 70 already in, in an office in the diamond business here in Antwerp, and so I decided that this was It's what you knew. This is what I knew. This was, this was my business, of course, and this is what how I decided to come to Belgium.
0: Most people, and I know you know this because you've been here for 42 years, and every region of the world has their ethnic joke. In Europe, they have the Polish joke. The French have the, the Belgian joke, right? But to you, that's, it's not a joke. You love it here.
9: Yes. I th- consider Belgium having given us a fantastic quality of life that allowed us to develop, make ourselves succeed, And it's at the same time culturally very important, Belgium, because this is where I discovered museum. In Lebanon at that time, we didn't have really an education of culture and art. We were mostly in mathematics and science and other other things.
0: So you discovered history of museums here. Yes. What particular museums?
9: Well, all the museums. I always have a favorite. Musée des Beaux Arts in the beginning, because there was no contemporary art museum. But gradually, there there was there is now the Wheels, the contemporary art museum.
0: What makes that so special?
9: What makes this museum so special? Uh, Museum become because art they let you know art, and when you they let you know art, uh, you become um, in a new level. You're not only in the economics or in the politics or in the religion. Art gives you a possibility to evade to have imagination, to find a new language. This is why museums are important, and this is why art is important.
0: Now, to me, a museum is important if it just doesn't show you the work. It puts it in context. It gives you perspective. Yeah. Somebody explains it
9: to you. Yeah, of course. It, it's, uh, Who explained it to you? The museum. I think I'm very curious. I tried to develop by myself, but at the same time, I went to the academy, to the art academy, studying. Even after my hours of working, I used to go to the academy and, and study art. And work art and enjoy art and became an artist and became an artist after 30 and, years and isn't it ironic and wonderful that you went back to Beirut of course so I will keep going back to Beirut we have we have but family. you exhibited there I exhibited there twice yes because I was invited by my uh, original country and I really was I'm very proud to have been able to exhibit in Beirut I will be at the Venice Biennale. This month in in May, representing the Armenian pavilion.
0: Wow, that's a wow.
9: Yeah, that's a wow. So this when a, uh, so
0: when, when your friends visit you in Brussels, I mean you've been here forty two years. What's the
9: biggest surprise that they have that they're not expecting when you show them Brussels? Uh, who would they? Belgium? Your friends, your ah, friends. Ah, my friends. Uh, what is the, the biggest surprise they have? Where from? Uh, when, the,
0: when people visit you from out of the, out of town. Yes. And they come to Brussels for the first time and you're showing them Brussels. What's the biggest surprise that they're not expecting?
9: I think uh, we show them usually our foundation. If it, and they are really surprised by, what's, by what we have done here. Really Let's talk about the foundation. Yes. And uh, my foundation, our foundation actually is a foundation that started uh, working on the humanitarian level in Armenia. We have done about 20 projects in Armenia, bringing water to the villages after the earthquake in 1989, making an art school uh, made many many schools conference um, 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 orphanage uh, summer camps many projects that are on the humanitarian level two main projects were one the president's prize which we give the president's prize is like a nobel prize but we give it in armenia on an armenian level with a jury and we, we give the prizes to talents there Every year, in a few weeks, I'll be in Armenia delivering with the presidents of the Republic uh, the 17th year of the price of the president in Armenia. We have restored the park, very important also, that we have opened to the population and uh, it, people. Uh, every, every Armenian feels very proud. After that, this is how I came to the foundation in Belgium, we have done some project in Syria and Lebanon, a school, w- and then I discovered that the school we done the school the, the the school that we done in Lebanon we did it with the Gulbenkian Foundation. This is how I came to the idea of a foundation. I don't know if you know the Gulbenkian Foundation is in Lisbon. Mr. Gulbenkian is Mr. Five Percent and he built this foundation. Uh, but anybody coming to,
0: to Brussels can also get a part of the foundation and work here.
9: Work or, or visit. Yes, of, of course. Yes, of course. And, and we
0: talked about that earlier in the show. Yes, yes. So you're everywhere. You're in Beirut. You're you're somehow in Syria somewhere, Everyone's Armenia, of course. Yes. And bottom line is right here in Brussels, Bel- yeah. which has really been your home for 42 years. Yes, yes. Jean Bagosian, the founder of the Bagosian Foundation, thank you so much for joining
3: You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
2: Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile. And get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home. Yes, cool. Or attending one live. You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not endorsement. Other restrictions apply.
3: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast